So welcome back, everybody. And uh, again, from from my side, welcome to this uh, afternoon of uh, sitting and reflecting and listening. And again, to reiterate what Martina's already said, thank you very much indeed for your uh, participation at this event and uh, your generosity, which uh, will go very much uh, to help Guy House uh, weather this ongoing uh, pandemic situation. Thanks also to Devin, who's joined us and uh, is, of course, the director of Guy House uh, for all of his hard work and generosity in, uh, in carrying Guy House through this uh, period. So I want to talk to you about care. And... I'm going to start with a, a story of the Buddha, and this is an occasion, it's recorded in the Vinaya, which are the texts on the monastic life, and it's an episode which is not that well known uh, in uh, the wider Buddhist uh, community, but one that's always struck me very deeply. It's a story of how one day Ananda and uh, the Buddha uh, find themselves in a small community, maybe a monastery, and they go into one of the cells and they find a monk uh, who's really sick, who's lying on the ground uh, in a pool of his own urine and excrement, it says. And so uh, Ananda and the Buddha pick him up and lie him on a couch and then Ananda goes off and gets some water and then the two of them wash the monk and um, take care of him, uh, treat him as best they can. And then they go to the rest of the community and they say, why aren't you taking care of this guy? And the other monks say, well, you know, he's not really pulling his weight in the community anymore, which sounds a rather callous thing to say. But I mean, how many times have we made excuses for not, let's say, visiting a sick friend? or parent or uh, colleague. I think all of us have our ways to somehow justify not caring. And at the end of this exchange, uh, the Buddha berates the monks for not you know, taking care of one of their own members of their community. And this is what he says. He says, monks, you, you do not have a father. You do not have a mother both of whom might care for you. So if you do not care for each other, then who will care for you? Whoever would care for me, Gautama, the Buddha, should care for the sick. Now, this passage um, is striking in many ways. One is that it actually shows uh, the Buddha getting his hands dirty. Uh, it really puts him into a very immediate human situation of pain and suffering and all that goes with it. In other words, um, uh, excrement and urine and blood and waste and smell and discomfort and uh, all of those things. And also, of course, from the sick person's point of view, perhaps a feeling of of a loss of dignity and so forth and so on. And 
not only does the Buddha remind these monks, the community, uh, that they, you know, they have no one else to care for each other but one another, um, he also uh, draws a much deeper um, consideration from this. And he says, if you care for me, then you should care for the sick. In other words, there's something about paying attention to those who are suffering, be it the sick, be it the old, be it um, the dying. There's something in that relationship that is equivalent in some ways to caring for the Buddha himself. For those of us who have a Christian background, and I suspect that's most of us in this room, even though we may not be churchgoers and may not be Christians, um, this probably reminds you of a very famous passage that we find in the Gospel of St. Matthew. Uh, 25 is the section uh, and the lines 35 to 36. And here we have Jesus saying uh, to his assembled disciples, for I was hungry and you gave me food. I was thirsty and you gave me drink. I was a stranger and you welcomed me. I was naked and you clothed me. I was sick and you visited me. I was in prison and you came to me. And um, he says this because uh, his disciples, um, you know, have you know, no recollection of having done these things for Jesus. And so Jesus reminds them that whenever you give food to the hungry or you give welcome and hospitality to the stranger or you give clothing to the naked or you visit the person who is sick or you visit a person who is in jail, you are in fact doing those things for me. So as with the Buddha, Jesus too identifies with those who suffer. So the contemplation of suffering is not something you do in the privacy of your meditation, but it's a, it's a practice. It's an engagement with those who are specifically suffering. And so a helpless newborn baby, a person who is tormented by some wasting disease or some horrible, painful illness. Um, the elderly people who can no longer properly take care of themselves, the terminally ill. These people reveal the Dharma to us as effectively as the Buddha himself. This would be another way to look at that passage. The caring for um, the sick um, is not just an expression of your compassion, but it is also uh, an opportunity to embrace the suffering of life itself in a highly specific and highly concrete way. And that um, is an occasion, an experience in which the Dharma, uh, the truths of the suffering of human life, uh, become vividly uh, present uh, to us. We also, I think, can recall how, uh, at least in the legend of the Buddha, um, it was his encounter with a sick person, an aging person, and a corpse that actually triggered 
his own quest for awakening when he recognized that he too is subject to sickness and aging and death. In other words, there's something about the engagement, uh, the encounter with the sick and the old and the dying that uh, touches what is most uh, uh, unavoidable and uh, non-negotiable in being human, namely that we'll get old, we'll get sick, and we will die. So you can't disentangle care for those who are sick and dying and the practice of the Dharma itself. And as I've been speaking, some of you might have been recalling the Buddha's final words as he himself lay on his deathbed and shortly before he took his final breath, supposedly he said, and this is a somewhat uh, free translation, things fall apart, tread the path with care. Things fall apart, tread the path with care. I find it uh, striking that the um, term or the, 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 the virtue that he names as his last breath perhaps is leaving him is not wisdom or compassion or meditation or mindfulness, but the term he chooses is care. So let's look a little bit more closely at this notion of care. Um, I think it's very important that um, these, the, the, the metaphor of care or the experience of, I'm sorry, the experience of, 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 of the suffering person and the care that you may then give to that suffering person um, functions as a, a way of thinking about the whole practice of the Dharma itself, where we're not obviously you know, dealing with sick and elderly and dying people all the time, but these examples become uh, images that help us extend the notion of care from specific people who are sick and in need of care to our total perspective or attitude towards life itself. So the point the Buddha is making is not that we should all become nurses and doctors, although that would probably be a good idea too, but he's drawing upon these examples to show how the whole practice of your life, your whole engagement with the world and with society and with the planet and with climate change, all of this calls for a response of care. So care in these broader issues is not going to be the same care as you might give to a person who's you know, suffering from COVID-19, let's say. But it, it calls upon us to get a deeper sense still as to what is at the root of this fundamental human capacity to care. So the word in Pali for care is apamada. And what it literally means is 
unintoxicated or not drunk. Pamada means drunk, intoxicated, heedless. Apamada is the opposite of that. And remember that in Sanskrit-based languages, negatives uh, often imply not just the negation of something, but the opposite of that thing. So in other words, to be unintoxicated doesn't just mean that you're not intoxicated, but it means that you embody the qualities that are the opposite of being intoxicated. In other words, this would imply that care contains an element of lucidity. It contains a dimension of stability and focus. It contains a, a very deep sense of responsibility, all of which are the faculties that fall away the more drunk or intoxicated uh, you get. You lose lucidity, you lose stability, and you very often, unfortunately, become irresponsible. Strangely, the usual translations we find in English of this term are either diligence, uh, heedfulness, or vigilance. And I find that all of those are not, uh, are not strong enough to do what we might call the heavy lifting of care. So I choose to prefer the, I prefer to translate this term as care. And care therefore becomes the very opposite of being indolent, distracted, reactive, muddled, contradictory, fuzzy-minded, incontinent. It suggests that care arises in our experience when the general pamadic or intoxicated condition of being human either subsides or has been overcome. Obviously not literally intoxicated, but intoxicated by greed, by fear, by anger, by all of these, uh, you know, mental states that so easily take us over and lead us into a state of mind that's going round and round in circles, that's not terribly lucid, it's not terribly stable, and often doesn't really consider our deepest responsibilities. So in this sense, care is a perspective on life. It's the overarching perspective of a person who practices the Dharma. It can't really be understood as a, a single discrete uh, state of mind. We have a passage in the connected discourses of the Buddha where he says that all virtues are rooted and converge in care. And care is, to be, is considered to be the chief among them. So there's something about care that differentiates it from, say, mindfulness or compassion or wisdom. And that is that it is the virtue that includes all other virtues. It's the broadest frame or perspective on which, as a Dharma practitioner, one seeks to lead one's life. Uh, in Tibetan Buddhism, in Tibetan Buddhist psychology, they define care as that which cherishes what is good and at the same time guards or protects the mind against negative or afflicted states.
In the suttas, the discourses, care is compared to the footprint of an elephant, uh, an image the Buddha uses uh, on a number of occasions. Uh, an elephant's footprint is the largest footprint of any animal that you'll come across in the world of the Buddha in the 5th century BC in India. Um, in other words, all of the other virtues of the Dharma, mindfulness, wisdom, etc., etc., they can be compared to the footprints of animals that are smaller than the elephant. So once again, care is that virtue which encompasses all other virtues. And since in other passages, the elephant's footprint is compared, is compared to the Four Noble Tasks, this suggests, to me at least, very strongly, that care uh, is the sensibility that guides one's relationship with life as a whole. And in this way, it lies at the very heart of the four tasks themselves, infusing and motivating us to undertake uh, each one of them. So, these four tasks, which I will now reflect upon a little, help us to understand, in fact, what it means to care. If we're to analyze this experience, this, this overarching perspective of care, then from this perspective, we can then get a better understanding of what it involves by seeing how it includes these four primary tasks. The first task is to embrace suffering, to embrace life. And clearly, when you care for someone, you are embracing that person's pain. Uh, that's what it means to care. It means to take that person's suffering as though it were your own. A mother's care for her child is founded on this deep empathetic uh, identity with the suffering of her child. Uh, or it could be to embrace you know, the climate uh, crisis. Once again, that is the suffering of our planet, if you wish. And if you are concerned about that, if you care for that, then you're called upon, as it were, to embrace it, to say, yes, this is real. This is something that uh, I have to address with the whole of my being not just my, 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 my mind or my emotions, but with the whole of who I am. The next dimension of care would be to let go of one's own selfish reactive uh, patterns. And that's what often gets in the way of caring, is that a little voice automatically kicks in, in one's mind, that says, oh no, this would be too difficult at this time, or, oh no, there's, uh, I'm sure they've got a family who are going to take care of this, or, oh no, uh, the government will um, do something about that, uh, or, oh no, I've, you know, I've got so much on my plate at the moment. In other words, the second task of letting go of reactivity uh, in terms of, of care is about realizing how to care for someone or to care for the planet has to do also with releasing your own selfish instincts. It's all about me. What, what do I get out of this? That has to go. So embracing is also a releasing. 
And this allows us to dwell in a still centered space that is not reactive. And that brings us to the third task, which is, is, to, is to pay attention to, to behold these moments of non-reactivity, this stopping of, re of reactivity. That is part of care as well. Uh, if you care, then you, in order to respond to what you care for, you need to be able to do so from a space that's not driven by fears, by personal ambitions, by wanting others to be impressed by what you're doing or whatever it might be. It means to be able to respond to that suffering from a place that's not colored by self-interest. And fourthly, the fourth task is to cultivate a way of life, or more technically, the Eightfold Path. But here it's basically acknowledging that to care is not just about, you know, taking care of a sick person, but to care has to do with how you see the world, how you imagine the world could be. It has to do with how you speak, how you give voice to your concerns, as Martine uh, shared with this earlier. It has to do with the work that we're engaged in. It has to do with how we make a living. It has to do with the energy we expend. It has to do with mindfulness. It has to do with uh, focus and concentration. So in other words, the entire path uh, is a way of uh, enacting uh, this uh, value of care in the world in which we live. And so in this sense, if we think of care in this way, then to care, meaning to embrace, to let go, to stop and to respond, um, is what it means uh, to be fully alive. Uh, the, 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 the goal of uh, Dharma practice, as I would understood it, as I would understand it, uh, is to enable oneself both individually and as a member of a community uh, uh, to flourish, to realize uh, the capacities we have in, during our brief sojourn on earth, um, uh, to do so fully, uh, completely, in such a way that we feel that we're somehow realizing the potential that we have as a mortal being uh, to uh, to live fully in this world. This is captured again in another um, verse from the early text. This is the Dhammapada, uh, verse 21, where the Buddha says, care is the path to the deathless, carelessness the path to death. So, again, this is a very, very strong claim uh, that care is the path that leads us to uh, what he calls the deathless. De deathless means, uh, you know, the absence of death, literally. And the opposite of death, if we go back to this usage, is life itself. Care is the path to what we might call abundant life. Uh, and carelessness or uncaring is the path to death. Death being Mara, death being uh, both literally death, but also symbolically leading a life in which we are somehow unable to live, unable to really breathe freely. Uh, that care 
is what frees us from that stranglehold of death, literally and metaphorically. Um, and the text continues, the careful, and we might also say the caring, do not die. The careless or the uncaring are as if already dead. So the notion of care quite clearly here goes right to the heart of what it means to be alive and to not care either by being careless or uncaring. And again, this is an accident of English. You don't have that same word uh, association in Pali or Sanskrit or Tibetan. But the word care in English, again, this is one of its strengths, is that it implies both to be careful and to be caring. And I think Dharma practice is very much uh, a synthesis of those two things. But also, as we saw in the story of the Buddha and Ananda with the sick monk, care is not a solitary virtue, something we might cultivate in meditation, but care is a social virtue. And care is not something one... Uh, uh, care, care is something that one learns by observing and being with careful and caring people. It's not a quality that can be learned by studying a text on moral psychology or Buddhist ethics. But one learns caring by living and interacting with human beings who embody care in their speech and in their acts. And I think for all of us, our first teacher in care is our mother, uh, our parents, uh, those who bring us up, uh, but particularly the mother. Um, care in that sense is, I, I think, a profoundly maternal quality. It's being able to embrace and to hold even uh, you know, a child in a great state of distress or grief or pain. And what we also find in the um, discourses is that the caring or careful person with whom you connect with, whom you uh, meet, are precisely the sort of people who make good friends. We have in the connected discourses a number of dialogues with a king called Pasenadi. And in one of these dialogues, um, Gautama tells the king uh, how he once responded to a question that was put to him by Ananda, the attendant who was with him with the sick monk. Ananda once said to him, you know, this true friendship, a good friendship, um, is so important. It, is the, it, is, it, it constitutes half of the entirety of the spiritual life. And as we probably have heard many times, the Buddha says, no, that's not true. And uh, this kind of good friendship is the entirety of the spiritual life. For one who has true friends, he says, will cultivate the Noble Eightfold Path. So in other words, the the, the the importance of, of having friends who care 
who are careful, who are in a way acting and living these values, um, is that their example will be precisely what inspires or, or turns you to the cultivation and the practice of the path. The dialogue concludes uh, as follows. The Buddha says, therefore, great king, you should train yourself in this way. Quote, I will be one who has such good friends. And when you have such good friends, O king, you should live with intimate reliance on one thing, care, care for skillful states, care for virtue. And when you, great king, are living with care, the women of your harem, your vassal lords, your soldiers, your subjects in town and countryside will think, the king lives with care. Come now, let us live likewise. In this way, you yourself, great king, your harem, your treasury, and your storehouse will be guarded and protected. Now, of course, there's probably very few of us here who have a harem or vassal lords or soldiers or subjects in town and countryside, but that's obviously not the point. The point is that who, in whatever role you, uh, you live your life, by doing so in such a way that you exhibit and embody a value such as care, that will inspire others to live likewise. And perhaps we can all think of examples in our own lives uh, of people who have somehow had such an impact on us that they've served in our minds as somehow examples of what it means to be a true human being. Now, of course, for many listening to this, that might be a Buddhist teacher of some kind, which is a very easy example in a way. But I think the more interesting examples are those people who are not formally teachers or priests or philosophers, but people we meet in the course of our daily lives, you know, in the supermarket, at the office, walking down the street. Um, people who, with whom we might have only had a relatively brief interaction, but that interaction has somehow touched us at a deep level and has then led us to think about you know how do how do i really live do i live like that could i live like that and finally what this points to is how that if you care for something then you will guard and you will protect it as the story says whether the object of your care be morality or a child or a sick person or an old person or an endangered species in each care case, your care manifests as a yearning to keep that person, that species, safe and free from harm. And what this turns us to is the recognition that if we care, if care becomes central to our practice, then we are accepting the fact that we will suffer. Because to care for someone means to be able to empathize, to be able to put ourselves in the position of the person who is suffering. And if we do that, 
then we are taking, as it were, that suffering on ourselves. So care is not only responding to suffering, but care is actually opening ourselves to embrace and to be with the suffering, to feel the suffering uh, in such a way that we are deeply moved to guard and protect it. So this, of course, can be a personal practice, but as we've seen from the examples here, it is also very much a, a social practice, a community, uh, such as the community we have very temporarily here today, but the broader communities to which we belong uh, are very much the matrix within which we are able to recognize, uh, to uh, practice and to respond uh, to our lives with this quality of care. So I will stop here. And um, we're now going to um, have a short uh, meditation in which you can uh, further reflect on some of these ideas or simply just come back to sitting quietly and being still. And um, we'll just do this for, um, for just 10 minutes. We don't really have that much time. I also spoke a few minutes more than I should have done. But just come to rest and close your eyes perhaps. And just see where what you've been listening to has landed in your body. What is your current uh, uh, feeling tone? What does it feel like to have thought about and to have listened to these ideas? Maybe it's left you quite flat and cold, maybe not. But that's for each of you just to explore and to just stay with that, uh, with that feeling, to somehow register the impact of what's been said, honestly, without preference or judgment. So rather than thinking about what has been said, just to feel how it has landed in your body, particularly in your, in, in your tummy, in your lower belly. And take a few deep breaths if you find that your mind is wandering or can't stay with the focus. Just reinforce your bodily awareness by tracking the breath as it descends to your diaphragm and then is exhaled 
and then inhaled again. Just seeing to what extent you can feel or sense the quality of care rather than to have a particular idea about it. And to let that sense of care infuse your whole bodily experience.
If you get distracted, then gently come back to your breathing.
Thank you for listening. To learn how you can support the teachers and Dharma Seed, please visit dharmaseed.org slash donate.